All right, let's go ahead and let's get started. Welcome to the new episode here of the non... Oh, man. The non... The no bros. There's no bros today. That's this. <laughs> to the Bro Podcast, where we tackle daily life challenges and apply God's word to illuminate and preserve his truth while leading others to salvation through Christ Jesus. Let's join your hosts. Welcome to the Bro Podcast with Jeff Anthony and my buddy, Sean Campbell. And we have two wonderful guests with us. Edith Alvarado. <laughs> and Stacy Campbell. Awesome. Well, we're going to be continuing on from last week's episode of um, how can a good God allow, insert anything from there. So uh, let's go ahead and let's pick up. Uh, we'll go ahead and uh, give the floor over to Sean. Uh, yeah. So, you know, last week we talked about the religious response to evil. You know, how could a good God allow so much pain and suffering? Is he not powerful enough to stop it or does he not care? And so, you know, we looked at Buddhism and Hinduism and you asked some really good questions like, how does this apply? And, you know, I couched it that a lot of new age thought is creeping into America, but also into the church. And so while it's not packaged as pure Buddhism or Hinduism, it is definitely nested in that thought. And as Christians unknowingly sometimes begin to integrate new age thought into their theology, we need to be able to identify how it works and be able to call out the lies in that worldview. And we finish off with Islam and then how we can respond from a pastoral perspective with care and dealing with actual hurting, suffering people. So this week we shift gears a little bit and focused on the philosophical and rational response to evil. Because a lot of people who do just don't like Christians, well, you know, I said, I poke or throat chop, you know, well, what about this? And they're not actually interested in conversation. Um, they're just trying to, to make us shut up. And so if we're equipped with the truth, if we understand their worldview, then we can be able to evaluate it on its own terms and really be able to see the holes in the argument and then with wisdom and courage be able to speak truth in love that makes sense and that that shows that Christianity is not just the solution to evil but it's the most rational response to it as well. So let's go ahead and let's uh, jump into that. So the first question <clears throat> that was brought up is uh, for a response is how do you how do they see evil in their own eyes? So walk us through that. So the uh, naturalist, the materialist, the atheist worldview sees evil in three different ways. Um, some of them, few of them, are as brave as Richard Dawkins, but he said it is clearly, and his phrase is used by all stripes of people, either for or against the position, um, that there's no good, there's no evil, there's nothing but blind, pitiless indifference. And so his, as I said in class, that is the most philosophically consistent worldview among atheists because they have no objective standard. There is no ultimate good or evil. So there can't be good or evil. It is just you're dancing to the music of your DNA. We're just meat machines living out our evolutionary necessity. So he's actually the most logically consistent of the different views of evil. So the first one is that it doesn't exist because there's just, there's no meaning whatsoever. Um, we just 
try to be good while we're here and encourage other people. Um, the second view is moral relativism, you know, and it, the easiest way to to describe that is, you know, what's true for Jeff Anthony is not what's true for Sean. Um, and, you know, Frank Turek's favorite, you know, response is there is no such thing as truth. And how do you know that's true is the response because they're making an absolute claim to make and non-absolute claim. So there is truth and there's not truth is the argument. So with that, there is only evil based on your own individual perception. And, um, and then finally, um, it's not a common position, but you know, in my research for my degree, I did find a Harvard atheist philosopher that made the case for atheist moral realism. So when we look at morals, we are moral realists because we have an objective standard and we call that standard God. So he was making the claim because understanding that moral relativism makes no sense. They were trying to ground absolute morality in human experience. And he had three premises to support that argument. The first is that pain is intrinsically bad. He didn't say evil, but that's what he means is bad because he knows that if there's no objective good, then there's no objective evil. So he couched it in good or bad. Um, and so that all pain is intrinsically bad. Inflicting pain for fun is bad. And it is bad not to give people what they deserve. So that's the all the different flavors of how atheists, naturalists, materialists look at evil. And then we had a really good discussion on you know, what that meant and the problems that are associated with that. So, <clears throat> so the last one that, that you just went over, that was the atheist moral realism? That's mm -hmm. what you went through? Okay. So uh, I took some notes down uh, from, from the class, and, and the first one is, who gets to, un un who gets to define unwarranted? I thought that was a great question. Um, and this was, uh, I believe, Mitchell. Mitchell had a lot to say, which I'm glad he was in class today. Um, you know, that was, who gets to de define unwarranted? And if pain is bad, so would, so would, I'm sorry, so would you be evil if you give somebody um, what they deserved, right? So, because we, typically when we say, oh, he got what he deserved, it's because something bad to happened to them. So does that make us evil because we believe that? That's the innate problem. As I said in class, atheist moral realism suffers from atheist moral relativism because ultimately, and as, as he pointed out in class, who says? <laughs> and that's a really good question just to ask in general. Who says or so what? What does that mean? Who says that pain is bad? As you know, someone else said, you know, childbirth is painful, but it is inherently good. You know, I pointed out military training and we talked about um, you know falling and hitting your head or pain that signifies of a deeper problem it really depends on your point of view whether or not the pain is bad or it is dependent on the situation so the problem with atheist moral realism is that it suffers from the reality of the outworkings of moral relativism because without that that absolute standard it really is just your opinion yeah, I definitely agree, just based on my own experience, that 
you know, number three, realism is tied into relativism because of experience. Because I went through a whole period of being an atheist. You know, there was a long time where I, I didn't, I was mad at God for everything that was happening to me, you know. And then I was like, well, if there, if there is a God, why is this happening? So then I didn't believe in God. I'm like, there's no way that God could be real because what's happening is horrible and it happened for years and years and years. And so experience, you know, I was basing it on my experience and then it ties in, oops, sorry, like you said, to number three, realism. So I, I, I do believe, I agree they go hand in hand with that. <laughs> uh, so I, I don't know, maybe I'm going to come at it in a, a different way. Uh, let's see here. Going back to if we, we in the Christian faith, if I'm taking the stance of the other side here, wouldn't we be evil if we did, did believe that somebody's like, oh, they got what they deserved? I mean, isn't that evil of us to think that? Because then we're casting judgment that doesn't, we have no authority to do and we shouldn't be doing that. And is that really righteous uh, discernment? That's the thing that every Christian is going to throw out. It's just righteous to, uh, I can't think of, um, discernment, right? So, so, hold on, sorry. <laughs> um, so it's just righteous di- discernment at, at that point. And I think... We, we leave ourselves open to that, and then it gives them fuel for fire. So, I mean, what, what's your response to that, Sean? So the, the problem is it's tied up in, initially tied up in moral relativism because, you know, that's true for you. Who am I to judge? And so, you know, we're, we're talking about it at lunch today. You know, what does tolerance mean? You know, tolerance actually means is I can disagree with you and still coexist. I can still go to a party. I can still do those things because tolerance is actually tolerating different views that are different without making a big deal about it. Um, so it comes with the definition of words, but you know, Jesus calls us, you know, he doesn't tell us to condemn. He tells us to discern. And while I think, you know, what he got, what he deserved is not a Christian response. It is reasonable to ask, you know, what did they do to help themselves in that maybe internally even only, you know, are they really surprised by the outcome of that? But again, that isn't a good talking point, but I think it's a reasonable position that is faithful with with the New Testament, with what Jesus said, because he told us don't condemn, but we have to discern. So if we have that feeling... Of they who who was who was the person that said that's exactly what they deserved? Like who gave you that thought that like hey that's what they deserved? I mean how did you come up with that's the just punishment? My gut says well that's my sinful nature speaking, but from trying to look at it from a materialist worldview is I mean what do you expect? Because it is just survival of the fittest. It is just like everybody needs to know, hey, you shouldn't do that. And so looking at it from the materialist side, yes, I need to watch out for my reputation as a Christian, not necessarily because I need to look good, but if you're going to be philosophically consistent, like what's wrong with that? You say God doesn't exist. Let's play that out. You know, it's reductio ad absurdum. Go to the natural absurd conclusion of their position to show that it actually is absurd 
but we've got to do that with, with wisdom. But as faithful Christians, when we're looking at those things, we should be able to say that is the natural outcome of that behavior, but it's not a preaching point. That's not a way to win friends and influence people. It's not a way to spread the gospel, but it is something that we need to be aware of personally. So how, uh, go ahead, Stacy. No, just as I'm reading what I wrote down, not giving people what they deserve is always, I don't know if he put the word always, always evil, um, or just simply evil. Regardless, what you're saying too about judging people and whether they got, whether it's just of the consequence that they got, Jesus talked about that is when he said, he didn't say do not judge. He said, judge people the way that you're going to judge yourself. The same measuring stick that you use to judge other people will be applied to you. And that judgment is not for us to condemn or deem righteous people who we are judging. And and I believe that Jesus was specifically talking about other believers, but it's for in a discipleship moment. And so when we're talking about, when we, when we, it's interesting that we bring this up into a conversation about evil is because like Mason preached on today, we are constantly working towards sanctification and that judgment that we have uh, believer to believer is not a condemnation because that is God and God's alone, right? And so, but, um, but we may in our own sinful human nature say that guy didn't get what he deserved and by this atheist realistic um standard i guess if i can call it that then that would be evil yet all of us as believers deserve death i sorry unbelievers and believers deserve death but as believers we've gotten something that we don't deserve which is grace and mercy and so by this definition if we're going to think about we're thinking about this what logically practically philosophically so we're taking these points as almost like an equation um and so if it if you get something you don't deserve then that is evil is evil i have got given been given many things i don't deserve the greatest of all is god's grace and yet that's definitely not evil and so by that whole definition alone um, of course, atheists will not apply that because I'm speaking religiously rather than practically logically. Um, but I would hope they would be charitable and see that I'm being consistent because my whole basis is um, is God and His truth. And anyway, that's that's what I was going along with. That there was something I oh I have later I have more um, in the terms of evil. But when you're asking those questions, that comes up is how we are supposed to judge other believers so <clears throat> my issue is not the the judgment it's more the way we're saying what we're trying to say so what's the proper way of rewording that it's not like i'm trying to walk on eggshells but i think it has to be more consistent exactly what we're saying where we're like hey instead of saying maybe it's the the way you say it like oh well he got what he deserved like what's behind that What's behind that, what you're saying, versus, man, the, the punishment was paid out, right? Like, he, he did the crime, now he, he's, he, he's, it's fitting what's there. And you can go into scripture and say, you know, you know we're all, our wage is sin, or uh, is death, right, for the sins that we commit. So this person went out and he murdered all these different people. This is what he has to pay. I mean, that's what the court system said. He, he earned. So in that case, he got what he earned, 
versus he got what he deserved. It makes me, you know, think of the thing people say. Well, it's not what you said; it's how you said it. I think that's one of those, one of those things, because you know they say, you know, pick the number, but more people pick up more on all the nonverbal cues than what you actually say, and that's definitely an opportunity where that would be the case. Well, he got what he deserved. You can even say that completely, you know, unemotional. He got what he deserved. It rubs a little bit more it is too abrasive and it's not helpful it's just like you said you know this by even the worldly standards this is the consequence for the behavior and maybe that's it judge it by the the result of the behavior rather than the judgment of the behavior and it's not you know walking on eggshells and it's not you know logically inconsistent but i think you know so they did this this was the natural outcoming he he should have seen this he probably did you know what can we learn from this maybe is another way to kind of wrap that up thank you um <clears throat> so i know you have a lot of a lot of questions stacy so i'm gonna kind of uh open the floor to you and um, let you go at it okay so I guess starting at the top, though, that what we didn't really discuss, if y'all don't mind, is the idea that evil doesn't exist, which I appreciate that he is logically consistent, but I don't, I feel like at, at, if I just had one word for it, I think it'd be naive, because how can you live in a world that we live in and see all of this evil and not have a label for it? And, and his whole basis is, you know, every, sure, we're all here by accident and everything is meaningless, but the vast majority of humans disagree with him, that, that life is meaningless and that we're just all here floating around bumping into each other. And so I think that it's, it, again, it, it's naive if you just look at it just on the surface. But even evil has a plan and a purpose. People who do evil things do it for a reason. And I think that that, like, again, he wants to be consistent. And I, I don't think he's being truthful or honest in his, con in his consistency. Um, because I think that when people do wrong things, there's a purpose, whether it is, they're just making bad choices, whether they're trying to get back to, you know, the, the bare minimum, because they've been hit down so far, maybe they're just bad people, and they're just selfish. Um, or they're just responding to the evil that's been done to them. It all has a purpose. It, none of that I said was an accident. And I just, it, you can argue with me all day long and perhaps you'll win by science saying that we're all here accidental, which I don't think science supports that. But you cannot ever convince me that people who do evil things do it accidentally, that they aren't doing something on purpose. And we can argue whether or not there's a greater evil force manipulating it all. But people, every time something bad's been done to me, every time I've done something evil or sinful, it's because there's a purpose behind it. Um, I don't know what y'all thought about that idea. So a lot of really smart people have, have thought about that. Um, and there are atheists who disagree with them. You know, we've listened to Bart Campalo. He's a secular humanist. They're basically really nice atheists who believe in human flourishing. And Sam Harris is this atheist ethicist. And, you know, he wrote a book called Good Without God and makes a case. I haven't read it, actually, but <laughs> um, I've read the headlines. <laughs> um, but 
you know, he talks about how we can be good without God. And so most atheists aren't that blunt. And so they agree with you at some level that that's naive. That's kind of aloof. Um, he doesn't really mean what he says, but he does. Like he means what he says, like, cause people have pushed back and no, absolutely. You know, I've listened to debates between Richard Dawkins and Sam Harris on ethics. Richard Dawkins is unabashedly consistent. Like he believes it. Like that is really just your opinion. It has nothing to do with any greater meaning. And that's why I think he's philosophically consistent because he understands the implications of all the other worldviews. Because if you're trying to make a claim that there's absolute more value so you can be good without God, you're moving into agnostic territory. You're not really an atheist. So, I mean, good for him, right? Like he's going to stand his ground. But a lot of reasons why we have these conversations, when we are talking about apologetics, when we're good apologists and not just trying to prove that we're right and we know everything, um, is we're actually trying to help people fully understand God Christianity, why Jesus came, even scripture and all of that. And the idea is understanding and a solution. And so the idea of just saying eh, evil doesn't exist and we're all here by accident is not helpful, doesn't provide a solution. And I love what you said last week when you're outlining all of the other religions and how Christianity is the only one that has a solution to the pastoral response to um, the problem of evil. I think we have the, you know, the best response for the philosophical as well, but it's just, you know, it's just frustrating that he's just out there going, eh, it doesn't exist, don't worry about it. It's just, it's unhelpful. People have real problems. They feel real evil is around them. Real evil has happened to them. Um, and I think as Christians, our job is to help people find the solution to that. And um, anyway, just, I mean, he can go on and believe what he wants to believe, but <laughs> it just, as a Christian, we can say, okay, that's great. Let's move on and actually find solutions for people. So thankfully, he is the outlier, um, even within atheist circles. And so it really is the simplest response to that is evil exists. Look around, dude. And, and so we really shouldn't waste our time on that because most normal people, even most normal atheists, don't really believe the same way Richard Dawkins does. But he is so well known in inside and outside atheist circles that... Like he's, he is the poster boy of the logically, rationally, scientifically consistent atheist because top to bottom, front to back, he is, he is completely consistent, except he believes in aliens. We talked about that with science, but he even gets there through evolutionary means, you know, highly advanced evolutionary processes and couches in lots of perhaps and and maybes and a could be's and think he he qualifies the language quite a bit but he's rationally philosophically consistent within his worldview but thankfully everybody else has their eyes open and know that he's wrong because objectively evil exists whether or not you believe in objective good or bad thank you sean <clears throat> so let's let's get into the actual meats and bones of what this is supposed to be. So um, I know you had a conversation uh, after class. So I'm just going to pose the same thing. If God knew it all, why? Why? Why even create humans? Right. What was the purpose? And looking in that to see all the pain, all the suffering, everything, despite what it is, you're, it, it, why? 
because that does not seem loving and that does not seem good to me. What do you think? You want my honest answer or yeah. like an answer that yeah. I would like, expect what, someone to say? Really? Like, what do you think? Because <clears throat> this is important. To, to me personally, why, why God created, created us. When I come to the understanding, he doesn't need us. Uh, he's given me a glimpse of what it is to, to be a little bit like him by having children. And uh, despite how evil this world is and despite all these bad things, I'm looking at the brighter things that, that, he, that life has to offer. Um, relationships, right? Servitude. Um, um, having someone uh, to love you unconditionally is is another and that's what god's offering to us is unconditional love and we don't know that kind of love but he has so much to give so much to give that um i've come to understand that i've come to understand that so uh we've said it in the christian sexuality uh course uh that i once heard that god is so big and grand and his love is so much that even eternity itself cannot feel that love, and he he needs to pour it out. His his scripture talks about pouring it out, you know. So um, when you think about that, someone from the outside can be like, "Well, that's kind of really selfish, right?" I guess in a way, I'm like, I can see how how that can look, but man, if someone's gonna give me all their love, and I'm gonna benefit from that. I'm going to let them be as selfish as they want to be. I don't have an answer to that question on what, why, um, but it is something that I have been asking lately, and it's something that actually started when you started the apologetics class the last two, three months maybe. Um, I've been going through a really dark time in my life because when you said, I don't know what, the fr- I think it was the introduction class, when you were asking um, or talking about asking questions, asking good questions, and there were four things, but I remember the two first ones were, what do you believe? And then the second one was, why do you believe it, right? And I realized when I heard you say that, that I had never asked myself those questions, like honestly asked myself those questions. You know, I, I spoke about how there was a time where I didn't believe in God, a time where I was mad at God, but I never stopped to think why. Like, what is it that I believe and why do I believe it? So it really messed with my mind. Thank you, Sean. <laughs> um, and I, yeah, the last three months have been very difficult. Jeff Anthony can attest to that because I've been asking those questions and it, it just, it took me down a really dark path. And that was one of the questions, what you were just talking about is why, if there is a God that knows everything, then why, if he knew the outcome, why create angels to begin with? Why create Satan? Why create us? Like, why go through all this trouble if he already knows how much suffering there is going to be? I don't have the answer, but I do have a passage that has helped me. And I'm on the, I'm, I feel like I'm coming out on the other side now um, of my dark, you know. I spent a lot of nights just, or days sleeping. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't want to do anything. I just wanted to sleep and not think about it because I didn't want to confront those questions, you know. But one of the passages, I have it pulled up here, um, that has helped me is 1 Corinthians 13, 
9, I believe. Let me see. And it says, now our knowledge is partial and incomplete, and even the gift of prophecy reveals only part of the whole picture. But when the time of perfection comes, these partial things will become useless. So that's just a passage that has really helped me. I'm like clinging on to it because we, we, we don't know the answers to everything, and some things we don't, we're not meant to know. Um, but yeah, I think it's, something that we should all ask ourselves is what do we believe in and why and I say it sarcastically thanks Sean but really thank you because it made me ask those questions and even though it took me down a dark path I am grateful for it because as difficult as it was it's helping me to begin to think of really what do I believe you know so yeah I appreciate that well, praise God, and thank you for sharing that. Just, I'm honored that <laughs> something I said was helpful, and just, I want to thank you for being vulnerable. We were talking about it today after class, you know. Shining a light in those dark places helps to disinfect, so to speak, and we can't think our way into heaven, but we can definitely, I think, think our way out of hell, um, because we were talking about before, you know, the facts changed lots of people's mind when they paid attention to it. Um, but yeah, those are the first two questions. What do you believe? Why do you believe it? And then the third one is meaningful for me is where do we agree? Cause that's people forget that next step. So where do we agree? Because I can be categorically opposed to you on all these other things, but where can we find a point of agreement? And that's why I bring up Christopher Hitchens. You know, he was angry atheist, hardcore pro-life. So that's where we agree. He believes in science. I believe in science, and well, I don't believe in science. He didn't either, but he follows the science, and clearly that is a living thing, feels pain, breathes, responds to some light, meets all the qualifications of being alive. And so where do we agree? And then not the preaching, the last one is, you know, what is the one thing that they need to say um, that we think they need to say, based on the other three things, what is something that I think they need to hear right now? Um, but as you were d describing, it makes me think of Greg Kogel back to tactics. His first two questions are, what do you mean by that? So what do you believe? Clarify. What's your evidence? Why do you believe it? And so those are really good questions no matter what we're doing is how to argue well is to start with questions, you know, so, you know, what do you mean? Clarify your position. What do you believe? And then what's your evidence? Why do you believe it? And so I think those are both practical and meaningful. And so just praise God and thank you for the feedback and just know that you're not alone. And I've been there too. And we're not the only two. And, and so, you know, there's God created the church for a reason. And when we're willing to be vulnerable, because it takes courage, because it's not always safe. We were talking about that today at class. It's not always safe. And so you have to use wisdom and discernment on when you can be vulnerable, um, because the world sucks and it hits back. And that's part of the problem to start with. So just thank you and praise God. I think also it's really important that um, we talk to our children about, um, well, the example I want to give is when I was going through, you know, a couple months ago, Lainey saw that I was not myself. So she came up to me and she said, 
you know what, mommy, just think of something else that makes you happy and then you'll forget, you know? And it made me realize two things. It made me realize that that's what I've been doing my whole life, right? And then it made me realize that I'm teaching her how to do that because the advice was coming from her, you know? So that tells me that that's what she does when she feels sad. She just thinks about something else instead of confronting that. So anyway, I just thought, you know, I know this is a young adult class and not, not any of them have any children, I don't think, but it's just really important, I think, that we think of our children and are we teaching them those things and how to think of, oh, just, it's okay, push it to the side, don't ask the hard questions. Um, they need to be asking the hard questions since even it doesn't matter what age I think it's important and they understand more than we think even when they're little you know Lainey's seven and she understands a lot more than we give her credit for I think most of the time so um, what you said there though is what we we're taught what we could be teaching our kids what society teaches us is that if you're really if you're feeling sad, if you're feeling depressed, if you're feeling like you've been hit with life, just think of something happy. Go to something that makes you happy, like social media, alcohol, coffee, shopping. But what, what, what just happened here, what, what was brought to your forefront through this class was that truth is actually what helps you. And that, and like thinking of what is true, scripture says that, what is true, what is noble, what is good, not what makes you happy. And, and for so long, these questions were thought of as bad. We're thought of as we don't ask questions, we just believe it because we believe it. But in the conversation that you had after class today, that same question was brought up and, and the concern that I have all these questions. And, and the way that you, when you retold it to me, it made it sound like that the, the person was concerned that the questions and the doubt maybe messed with their faith, you had a very good response about what scripture teaches us about questions and whether or not we have all the answers. What did, how did you respond to him? So first I was <laughs> joyful because this person felt safe asking the questions in their family of origin, like was raised knowing that questions are not bad. But you know, like we've talked about, that good thing didn't come from me. It was, it was something better than that. Is I asked him, read that book. Tell me anybody besides one who had it all figured out. Read that book from cover to cover. There's not a single person in that book that knew all the answers. There's not a single person in that book that didn't have doubt. There's not a single person in that book who always knew what to do. The one exception to that is... Son of the living God on earth, the only one who knew all the answers. And there were times he questioned, you know, how long do I have to put up with him? Oh, Father, why did you forsake me? Like he had questions. <laughs> Where the church came to the position that questions aren't good, you can't ask questions. We just have to believe how they got there. I have no idea. But anybody who's struggling with that, read your Bible. And it's not, well, you need to read your Bible. It's read your, check every single story. It's Adam and Eve, it's Cain and Abel, it's Moses, Noah, Ham, um, you know, all that completely reset. You know, he screwed it up. Look at, you know, 
Joseph and all his brothers and everybody, everybody did it wrong. Everybody had doubts. Everybody struggled with their faith. And so how the church came to a position where it's not okay to ask questions, they're not reading the Bible either. And that, again, didn't come from me. It just, it came out, but it makes total sense because that book is a book full of people who had no idea what was going on. They had tons of questions. They had struggle following a holy God and then, and that holy God saying, all right, I knew what was going to happen. I've got to flip the script on you. I'm going to come and fix this and you're still not going to get it, but you move. Um, I'm missing the scripture though through a glass darkly is is the phrase in my head from scripture that Paul was talking about it also that we we don't see clearly now we see something that's close to clear but we won't understand until we're actually made perfect Um, something I thought of when you were you were talking and you said a lot of why and makes me think of Hutt's sermon from a few weeks ago is you know in and of itself, why isn't necessarily a bad question, but it's the wrong question. And how, you know, or what even, what am I supposed to learn? How can this work for my good? How can I understand a little bit of what might be a higher purpose in this mess so that I can glorify God in spite of it? Um, Maybe even because of it, because I can show what he's doing through this Completely awful, absolutely evil thing. Thank you. <clears throat> I have a couple notes here, um, and, and I think it falls all into place what you guys ha- have been talking about. Um, Sailor brought up that believing in God fully, the loving God, and if it was easy, everybody would do it, right? And uh, thinking about Paul saying, you know, like, we don't see the full vision. We don't, it's, it's very cloudy, right? Because even when we're, when we give ourselves, right, I always say, I never say fully because I always feel like we always hold back, right? And that's why we continue to sin. Um, um, I'm trying to figure where I was going with that. Uh, sorry. Um, so yeah, she was saying that was, um, if we were, if it was easy, everybody would do it. But when we give ourselves to him, we can go through the Bible. No, I'm back on track. Thank you. We can go through the Bible, and we're not always consistently seeing things, but it's not until he puts us through the furnace and refinement, pain, right? I think about all the pain that we go through. It's not evil. It's, it's necessary. I guess it, maybe it's necessary evil. That's something that people say, right? Um, but it's something that's necessary in order for us to be formed and forged uh, to to be more like him and strengthen in his truth, right? And I wrote on here that our actions represent Christianity. And when we go through things that we understand we don't have control, that God has control through that whole entire thing. And that sometimes truth hurts. It's hurtful, right? And But through that, through that, we're set free. Jesus said, right, the truth will set you free. And that I think that's the biggest thing that we look at is like, People will say God is evil because he's revealing truth to them, right? They're not willing to be like, yes, I do deserve what's happening to me. I do deserve that. But, right, the national teeth, how dare you? So what Mason said this morning, you know, one of the last points was, you know, 
one of the oldest trades of purification with with gold in super hot fire. Um, again, look at scripture. Look at look at Moses. Look at Abraham. So start with Abraham. He had to wander in the wilderness before God led him to the promised land. He screwed up a ton of things in the process. Um, Moses, you know, was raised in Pharaoh's house, got angry and killed somebody, had to go wander in the wilderness, had to meet a desert priest, basically, (laughs) priest of Midian, and and to lead him back, and he still wandered through the desert. Um, Job, you know, lost everything. He had to wander through the wilderness. David was the anointed of God. He was running away from Saul. He had to go in in the wilderness. Um, Look at Hosea and what God told him to do with Gomer and how his relationship with his wife was was an example of what God went through with his bride, the kingdom of Israel. Look at, at Paul. He had to be blinded so he could see. Even Jesus had to be purified in the wilderness. So for us to think we're better than all those heroes of the faith, we're not reading our Bible either. That God doesn't demand that we deal with the evil, but he's proof that we can get through it and that that is refining fire that, that has a purifying nature to it. And everybody who's anybody in the Bible had to do that to be ready to serve God, most notably even Jesus. He went into the wilderness so he could commune with God and was strengthened so that he was ready to begin his, his ministry. So if, and then on top of it, he said, if you follow me, you're going to suffer too. So we ignore Jesus and we don't read the Bible to think, well, everything's just going to be sunshine and rainbows and unicorns. We're missing the point, but also we're, we don't understand the nature of our God when we think one, that that pain has no meaning. And two, that not only that, is it, purifying, it's sanctifying, it is strengthening in a humanly twisted way. But when we look at scripture, we, and we're faithful to what he says and what he means in scripture. And we can see that it's only by his power and his might, but also design that it takes that to get to the other side. And he's glorified on the backside because he's a good, good father and he's there to walk with us through that mess, but then give us purpose once we get through it. Yeah. Uh, right now I was just thinking about, you know, just like going through basic training, um, before all the stress cards came out and, uh, (laughs) teddy bears and stuff like that. So, but, (laughs) but really thinking about how the military breaks you. Right. And you, you used, I'm not sure if you said it here in the podcast, but I know it was in the class you were talking about the gas mask and uh, how that's used for you to, to trust your equipment, what it's there to protect you. Right. And I think about how painfully one of the, I think I shared this with Edith. One of the the things that uh, my recruit commanders were doing, the trainers, um, they were, they, it was so weird. Like they literally picked our, our squad out. They, instead of just being like, Oh, this group goes here, that group goes here. They literally like started interviewing us while we were coming off the, off the bus, you know, and we were being yelled at and all these things and they were pulling us aside. 
And, and I mean, they just took the smallest bit of information and then they put our, our group together. And I remember the through, after we got done with processing, uh, the first thing they did, they grabbed the, they grabbed me and they're like, Hey man, I have some bad news for you. And I was like, okay. And he's like, your mom died and you can't do nothing about it because you're already in process. You've been already processed. And, uh, yeah. So you, we're not going to allow you to use phones. We're not going to allow you to do anything. You can write letters to home, but you need to get through this and you need to understand this is what your mom would want you to do. And I was like, holy smokes, because they, they knew how much I loved my mom just from this interview process, right? So you can imagine this huge amount of pain. Obviously, they saw something. They saw like I was a broken person and they needed to make me stronger, okay? And so literally, I'm here like just, I'm devastated. I'm totally devastated. But going through those, the nine weeks, it was a 13-week boot camp. But at nine weeks, they had to allow us to use the phones because we had to call and be like, hey, we're going to be graduating. This is what we're going to do. So I make a phone call and I'm like trying to talk to him. You know, I was like, I'm going to talk to my dad and my mom picks up the phone, man. And and I mean, I just totally broke, broke, you know, and and I was so upset. I was so upset about it. And and as we were starting leaving uh, the, the annex, we were heading back to... Because after nine weeks, they kind of let you do whatever, you know, you just got to show up for muster and show uh, or you're gathered together on time. So I started, but on my way there, I was like, you know what? It was a long nine weeks, but now knowing that my mom's alive, those nine weeks were just a blip at that time because now, hey, I get it. Like it, it made sense to me. And I see that's how God kind of works in our life is like, I'm going to make you better at this awful thing, but I'm going to make you better. And I think about existence, right? Like why he created us? Why is there evil? This is now, this is just me conjecture wise. Um, the way I look at it is the only way God was going to be able to save me is because of this, that I never would have wanted him if I didn't go through this, not saying that that's what he wanted me to put me through, but he allowed it because it's like, this is how he's going to turn. This is what he's going to do. And I don't think people see it that way. We want to believe, like, I have full control. I should be able to tell you, like, I think it's a ridiculous statement when people say, well, God never asked me if I wanted to be born. Well, think about what you just said there. How could he ask you if he's never made you? That That's okay. Anyways, <laughs> but, you know, just that pain. And, and I think about, obviously, I'm a man. I don't know this, but when women have are pregnant, right, they they have these nine months of carrying a child inside of them. I'm sure their bodies are going through a bunch of different experiences and it just seems super, super, super long. But then you see their faces when the baby's laying on them and stuff like that. So I'll let you as the ladies kind of, uh, do, do you agree that those nine months all of a sudden kind of just disappeared when that came to, to fruition? Um, yeah, I mean, I think the fact that we, have, we each have more than one child proves that pain is temporary and you often forget the pain um, and that those change, yeah, nine months seems like nothing. It does, it seems like an eternity, especially the last month of pregnancy is about four years long. Um, But no, like the delivery itself, the fact that I can like in the moment, I'm like, I am never doing this. Like this is, (laughs) why do we do this? 
And then the instant that child is born, I understand why. And every moment after that, and then you want to have more. The, this, the fact that we have multiple children proves that that pain taught us something. I learned from every pregnancy and delivery. Um, and that even every day after that, every moment, Edith and I were talking at lunch about parenting and how we, we learn about all, we're talking about things that happened when my oldest son was two, he's now 14, and all the wisdom that I've had in those you know, 14 years because of all the mistakes I've made, basically. All the pain that I've been through, but that we learn from. Um, but no, I think you're absolutely, absolutely right. Um, that's a terrible story, by the way that they yeah. did that to you, having been through basic training also. I can't imagine that being told that. Um, I'm glad you have that positive attitude um, and you get to apply that now. Um, but yeah, I don't, go ahead. Go ahead, Edith. Edith, what do you think? No, I actually really enjoyed being pregnant those nine months with both of the girls. I love, I miss their kicks. That was my mm. favorite feeling when they would kick. Um, but yeah, the labor part was not so great. <laughs> but yeah, you overcome it and then you get your baby and and we're stronger on the other side. Yeah. When you can go through when you can go through labor, like you I feel like I'm a wonder woman now. The fact that I went through that just I'm like I can do anything. I can go through any pain. Now when, you know, if you if you ever had to go to the ER after labor delivery, they say on a on a scale of 1 to 10, how much pain are you in? I, I had to go once and I said I told them 9. And they walked away and I told Sean, I was like, I only said nine because it's not, it's really, really bad, but it's not as bad as like labor pains. And so I was like, I'm in a lot of pain, by the way. Um, but it, just if you can go through that, you can accomplish, like you feel like you can accomplish anything. And the same is true with the pain that God allows to happen. And um, that's one of the things that I wrote down is, I actually wrote down, I have a, when, you know, if you've, if you've ever done a spiritual gifts test, um, I have a spiritual gift of faith. I, every time I've done it, I've scored off the charts. And one of the downfalls of having a spiritual gift of faith, and you're, you'll hear it a lot, and it may be, an, it may be a reason why the church stopped, ask, stopped allowing questions, is because we tend to say when we hear doubts or we hear questions, you just need to believe. You just need to pray more. You just need to read your Bible. Um, and I even kind of did it in my answer, is the truth is there, right? And it's because I can't fathom a moment where I would not believe in God and believe that God is there um, and that he has my, my best interests and heart. And so um, I was going somewhere with that. It builds our faith. Every pain that we have, all of this pain that we go through, all this evil that we see, um, anyway, the People who have a spiritual gift of faith can be, can, can be bad disciples when we're like, just believe more. Except that it, it, that's where my faith has come from, is all those painful moments. Um, all that pain that I've been through, the evil I've seen um, has built my faith because of God's faithfulness in, that, in those moments. And so the evangelism end of this, um, I think the world tends to forget and even Christians tend to forget that God himself put himself in this. Mm. He put himself to the most evilest thing that could happen, the, hor the most horrific way in mankind to die, right? And we can think about chemical, uh, chemical warfare. We can think about all those different things, but chemical warfare, I mean, that's a real, in the 
time frame. That's really quick in comparison to what crucifixion was, right? And uh, we just got done watching Nefarious, uh, which is a movie about demon possession. And the demon specifically said that he, the body that he was taking over, is like, yeah, I had to, I had to choose. They had a choice to pick lethal injection or the chair. And he's like, I picked the chair because it's this. It's probably the most horrific way, except for execution. And I can't even allow. You guys don't allow that. So I'm. Well, yeah, that they wouldn't allow crucifixion. So he he chose the chair, just to put an emphasis of like how horrific crucifixion really was. But that's where the, an atheist and 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 even ourselves we tend to forget that God himself put himself there. He, Jesus is God. And we, I don't know, I have like a feeling that the big C sometimes forgets that, that he, he's not God's second, he's God, you know? And, and I think that's where we, it all starts there. Like, um, and it's okay if you say I'm right. I don't think he would ever give us something um, that he wouldn't be willing to go through himself. Not that, you know, I'm sure you're probably like, Oh, he'll never give you something you can't handle. That was, I, I'm, I purposely paused there. So, <laughs> but you know, and, and biblically speaking, is when Abraham had to go and sacrifice Isaac that he didn't allow him to sacrifice Isaac because, like, I'm gonna do that because I'm the only way. You, you're man. You're not God. I'm the only way out. So, <laughs> so because I've been paying attention to what you're saying, not just waiting for my turn to talk. The thing I heard from everybody. The difference between the Christian response to evil and everybody else's, it's perspective. It's the long game, looking back and seeing, you know, childbirth, your mom dying at basic training, Um, you know, all these things, looking back on it, man, that was awful, but I see the point. I see where I am now, and I'm not there anymore. It's all perspective. And we see it through the light of Scripture, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit through prayer and fellowship. We encourage each other to say, hey, man, that sucked. Let me walk with you. We talked about this last week. You know, let me walk with you through this so that you can have some perspective. Because, man, that's awful. I can't imagine what that felt like. I'm here for you. Let me know if you need something. Sometimes we have been through that. Like, that's the best that's the best discipleship, the disciple making is I've been through, I've been through that. And what Sailor said today about her, her response to, you asked, how do we respond to the philosophical problem of evil? And she was the first one to speak and she said, living by example. And a lot of the times it's just, you know, living by what scripture says, but it's also by how people see us as we engage with the evil, as we respond to the bad things that are happening to us. And that it's not just like, I'm going to like, there's a lot of many, many times God puts these people in our path because we've gone exec on that, on the exact same, our paths cross because we've already been on the the road they just came from and we can walk with them through the rest of it. Um, Sorry, I interrupted. Go ahead. No, (laughs) you're, you're right. But I think you asked me the question a few weeks ago, do, does it take going through the thing to help somebody through the thing and because we we talked about it back in Christian sexuality, and, and you asked me, do I still agree? And I do, that we don't have to be the one going through the thing. There's definitely value in that. But when we walk out our faith like Jesus, when we follow Jesus' example, and we're willing to step into the mess, 
we seek the truth in Scripture and listen to the Spirit in the moment, we can still empathize with what with pain, with suffering, with hurt. It doesn't have to be the same thing. But as we were talking about at the class, like we've all got our own mess. God has let us out, but it's not the same, but it's close enough that I can find meaning and strength and encouragement in that. So yes, I feel like you might have a leg up, but also it could be a disadvantage because I could project my own pain on you while it's, it's too similar. And then I get in the way. If it's too similar, not all the time, praise God, and less and less as time goes on. But yes, you're right that it definitely helps, but it's not a prerequisite for doing it because we serve an infinite God, because we serve a truly awesome, wise, all-powerful God that he'll create a way, no matter what it is, if we're willing to follow his example and lead like Jesus. So going back to the question that you had asked, that the conversation that you had, you, you heard Jeff's answer. You asked him, well, what do you think? What, I'm curious to see what you think of why. You know, I said I don't have an answer, obviously, but why, if he knows everything and he knew what was going to happen, why did he create everything? So how long did we go before that we came back to that question? <laughs> Well, to be fair, I didn't get to finish mine, but you get to finish it for me. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Um, But see, the value of good questions that we went, I learned a whole lot about all of you by asking, well, what do you think? Um, And, you know, I told this, this man that I came down a lot where you did, that I have praised God, I don't understand. Because if he isn't, if he, if I understand an omnipotent and all-knowing, completely perfect knowing and omnipresent, a, a completely infinitely present in everything and all-powerful and all-good, if I understand that, he's none of those things. So I have to expect not to understand everything. But thinking through it when I was talking after class is basically where you described that he is that awesome and that good that creation is an outward expression of his awesomeness (laughs) and he created it all good it started all good and human was very good He designed it that way. We screwed it up. But knowing that we would screw it up, he let us screw it up because he loves us. And, you know, C.S. Lewis has said it. A lot of wise men have said this, that, you know, forced love isn't isn't love. It's obedience. It's not even obedience. It's just the only response. And it's anything but love and people have described it as almost a, a revolting response, even like people who you have to obey, you, you know, fealty is the word that comes to mind. You're just this demand, abject obedience. It's disgusting when it actually happens because you know, well, I just made them do that. And so it has no meaning. And so being all good, that's demonstrated through our disobedience. 
because he would have to be kind of evil to make us do everything that he wanted us to do. And the question I had um, when we were driving to lunch is, goes back to evil, is would we really want God to stop all evil? So I have a question to your question. Or not, not, not really that. Um, <clears throat> the answer is no, I wouldn't. Because even through the evil, he's always working a miracle. And uh, once again, I'm going to bring up my friends from the Latter-day Saints. Um, one of the biggest things that when I ask these questions, they always responded back with, okay, but do you see the good that he is doing in your life in the midst of that evil? And we tend not to do that um, when we are going through things. And then I heard it again. <clears throat> Actually, God used uh, an employee of mine before I had back surgery. And it wasn't really a question when she said it. It was kind of like, you need to see the miracles that he's performing daily in your life. And I think at that point, I was probably at the lowest point of my life. Um, uh, we almost lost Edith um, and to gallstones and uh, uh, pancreatitis. Thank you. Um, a few months later, I had a small heart attack. You know, I was just, everything was just falling apart. And then um, I couldn't walk literally 10 feet without extreme pain. And I was just... I was just so focused on all of these bad things that were happening versus, hey, I'm setting this up for you because you're going to get relief here. We're going to set this up for you here. And so right before I went to my back surgery, she's basically I was talking to her, you know, because she was she saw something on my face and she knew I was worried. And she's like, you just you're going to be OK. You're going to be fine. You just need to see what he's doing in your life and start accepting the miracles that he's putting in front of you versus you throwing them away. And that stuck to me. And um, we weren't really church going people, you know, and um, before we went before we went into my back surgery, we did recorded will really quick. I'm not sure if, if, if you remember that, that we did that. Yeah. I yeah. Did. And then um, we actually sat there and prayed before we went into surgery and then we had this this peace I, I had this peace upon myself and i and this was a god that i was just like how dare you like i you know that he i felt like he totally rejected me and i fell into all the all those different beliefs but at that moment remembering what linda told me uh and and just going there i had this ultimate peace and he set it up because after the back surgery during those three months three or four months that i had time off we got to say we can't we can't force our kids not to love a God that we don't love. We need to allow them to make that choice. So we started going to churches per se, and then we tried to get them into VBS. I mean, everybody already knows the the story. We said it multiple times already that God basically led us to this church, led us to reengage, which is going to be starting soon. Um, so some of you that may have married friends. Um, I highly recommend that they come through the reengage program, but this program is a hundred percent focused on centering your life in Christ. Not that Christ will, in the worldly sense, fix your cancer, fix your um, money problems, or do any of those things, but He fixes the problem. You know, and 
it's such an amazing thing to see at that time that he shattered me, not broken, he shattered me to the point to be able to just pick everything up and, and say, this is who you are and define my identity in him now versus myself in the world. And when we, we went through Job was the first Bible study that we went through out of all the books that we could have gone to uh, Bible study. It was the book of Job to, to realize stuff's going to happen, but I got you. And then we went through Ecclesiastes. <laughs> so, like literally, it was like a big setup the whole entire way. And but when when I started to go back, actually, and I had read the Bible many, many times, but, but I was so blinded, I never really took it in. But when I got to the point where um, Abraham was supposed to sacrifice Isaac and Moriah, like I got it. He's like, not you, me. And, and I think that's why when Summer says we're that rep representation that we can tell him like, man, this world does suck. You're absolutely right. There's so, so much evil. But isn't it amazing that through all of this, and let's say you were that evil person, that God still wants you. And that's not evil. That's good. So y'all are, you know, making all these really thoughtful, insightful, spiritual <laughs> observations. But I go back to just it makes sense how God does it, because those are all true. But reflecting on my question in terms of what you said is if we wanted God to stop all evil, we would necessarily have to give up every other choice we ever made. And it comes down to the fact that we want to pick and choose what we want God to do, because none of us wants him to actually stop all evil. We want to pick and choose what we want God to do. We want to be God. But because I'm not God, I'm going to argue against God, kind of like Caleb, or not Caleb, um, Cain. You know, all of these worldviews and all these individual, we rejected God because I wanted to be God. And so because I can't be God, I've got to be angry at the other God because I can't control him. And so I'm going to look at all this evil and all this pain and all this suffering from a warped view because I have no perspective. I have no spiritual understanding of the impact it had. But ultimately, I'm just ticked off because I can't get what I want. And so all these arguments, again, they hurt because the world is evil and the world is painful and we are wounded. But we're made new in Christ. The world doesn't like that answer <laughs> because they're not in control of it. They, they say they want something else to control it because they can't control it, but ultimately they're just angry because they want to be God, and they're not. Any last thoughts, ladies? I was thinking about the question you asked. Do we want God to stop? Do we really want God to stop all evil? And then I'm with you immediately, no, because we've talked about how the pain we've experienced shapes us, refines us into who we are, builds us, strengthens us. And then I thought about, and then I put handles on the word evil. And what I would consider, I could probably name a dozen things in this world that I would consider evil. And the n number one thing that came to mind was abortion. And so first we have to acknowledge that that's a really hard question. Do we really want God to stop all evil? Because some people would say yes, just, just cut it out. They've been hurt so badly. And we need to acknowledge that and be empathetic and compassionate to the fact that they have experienced so much evil that we would never even comprehend. Um, and then we need to understand that, like find the, the, the foundation behind that question. And, but then do, when I asked myself, would I want God to stop all abortions? Completely take that desire away. 
And yeah, of course I would. Like that would solve a solve a problem. And um, but also what you were saying about that us being God is because that takes me out of that problems equation, out of that equation. Stopping abortions, I think we talked about, we, well, we talked about when we came back, and you all talked about during your debate during class, is that a debate doesn't happen between a believer and a woman wanting to have an abortion. Compassion, empathy, helping her understand, showing her support, that's the conversation that you have. Um, we do not change minds and hearts by debating on whether we're pro-life or pro-choice, right? And by stopping that evil, while that would be good and, and would and fill my heart with joy that all those babies get to live, it's removing me from my position of what God has put Christians on this earth, why he makes believers and commands us to be disciples, is that we are to step into the places in front of those women and men who are in that position. Um, and that God could stop all that evil. Um, he could stop it if he wanted to, but not only would it make us, or if we would be trying to be God, but we would, he would remove from us one of the greatest things that he, we get to do, which is be his hands and feet, which is move in, move as not just disciples, but also as the people that show other people God. And so, we acknowledge that. So when people ask that question, why can't he just remove all of the evil? I think it's important for us to understand why that question's even being asked. And why did that person, why did God put that person in front of my face to ask that question to me? And it's not for me to answer, give them the answer. Because when y'all all answered it, I had an answer. And then I realized my own, my own question, do I want God to stop all abortions? That's not the question. The question is not, why can't God stop all this evil? The question is, why did God allow this evil to happen to me? And where is God when I am doing this? And that is my responsibility as a believer. And so by stopping all of that, he's removing me from that equation, um, which is one of the gifts, one of the many gifts that he's given us as believers. Nothing? No, I'm just thinking it through. I don't know. I, I love the way you explain things. I, my brain doesn't work the same way. It makes sense in my brain, and then when I try to get the words out, it's like, well, <laughs> nothing makes sense. So I love the way you speak, because um, everything is just so eloquently put. But I don't know. I'm pondering that question. Would I want God to stop all evil? And I'm like, my immediate response is the opposite of all three of you is, yes, I would. But again, I don't know if it's because of my experiences, but you've, you've all, I mean, you've shared your experiences. They've been horrific too, right? Um, so I'm just wondering, is it, we're saying no because it's taking away our own, like, are we saying, no, I don't want him to stop all evil because of a selfish reason? Because then it's taking away from me, my choice. He's taking away, I don't know. So I'm just trying to process it. I don't. I think, I think that's a great question. I think that that's where we, we continue to contemplate that and mm -hmm. continue to ask God for clarity and for mm -hmm. wisdom. And I don't think it's wrong to keep asking that question. I also don't think it's wrong. I don't think that there's a right answer. Mm -hmm. I don't think that we all said no and you said yes, and that means we're even in disagreement. I mm -hmm. think it's where we are. 
and where and God will speak to each of us as individuals mm-hmm. to what how we answer that question. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's that's our faithful God is mm-hmm. that. And again, like I would want him to stop all the evil right. also um, naturally, but um, and I mean it's a great question. Does that make me selfish? Because it takes because if he stops all the evil, he's stopping my choices because I make I'm sin. I sin, I'm sinful. I sin daily, right? And that would take away the free will that he's given us, given me specifically. So, <clears throat> so I want to clarify. I I wouldn't want him to to take it away because he it, it's all to glorify him in some way he, that he allows all this stuff to happen, and, and it could be the only way that it leads somebody to him. Right. And that's that's the only reason I wouldn't want him to, because then if I'm like if he takes all pain away and then everyone never comes to him because everything is perfect, then that is just awful. So I want to wrap this up with truth from Scripture and, you know, philosophy, philosophy of religion is different than religious philosophy. So philosophy founded in the premises of of truth, and we get that from God. If objective moral values exist, then God exists. The fact is, objective moral values exist, so God must exist. It's a deductive argument. If the first two premises are true, then necessarily the conclusion is true. Nobody but Richard Dawkins disagrees with that. Everybody knows that there is absolute good and there's absolute evil. But C.S. Lewis pointed out that God is the only rational reference point for ultimate good. And it goes back to last week that because Jesus experienced that evil, he knows what we're going through and he's shown us the way through that. But from outside that pain, looking at it philosophically, God is the also the only one that gives us hope of freedom for eternity away from evil. He is that reference point, but he's also the thing that we're pointing towards through our actions, through our prayers, through our obedience. We're pointing back to him with the goal of hopefully getting there. That isn't why we're doing it, but that is the benefit of what we're doing. But we have hope because not only is he the reference point, but he's also what gives us the chance to be free from it forever. Thank you, Sean. Uh, so next week, we're gonna, what are we going to venture into? Because you did not ask the class this time which one we were going to jump into. I know the, we, have, we had left that up to them, so I'm interested. What are we going to get into next week? So um, next week is the last one that I planned. Um, didn't purposely leave it for last, but I guess it's good. Um, we're going to talk about gender identity, and I've heard Apology Radio do it. I've heard lots of different people. Um, we're just going to talk about science. But because we started this off with objective truth, if attra- objective truth doesn't exist, then everything God says about it is meaningless. And then God designed the world. He gets to set the rules, both in human sexuality. Science shows us how God works in the world that we understand that we can trust scripture and that we can trust what God says about things like abortion. We can also trust God to lead us through the evil and 
So we're going to wrap this up with what I prepared with God's design uh, going back to human sexuality. We're going to look at that, and then uh, I think we're going to, the last class when most people will be here, we're going to go to recommendation that we got is why are we such hypocrites? <laughs> and I think that's, that's a great way to end it, and it's at the request of the class. So, yeah, so next week we're going to do gender identity, and then the, as soon as we finish that, um, we'll close out the summer of apologetics with why are we all such dirty, rotten hypocrites. And that will lead right into 95 Thesis, so that's great. <laughs> uh, brother, if you can go ahead and pray us out, please. Yeah. Father, we rejoice in you. Let us always rejoice. Help us to know that you are in control and that you are here and that we have no reason to be anxious about anything, that we would seek you in prayer and thanksgiving, that we would surrender all of our worry and all of our pain, our suffering, that we would let, let go of the control of the things that are weighing us down, that we would lay them at the cross and that we know that you are good and you have a plan for us and you will not forsake us. Lord, I pray that when we do that, we would know that the peace of God, your peace that surpasses all understanding, that will guard our hearts and minds. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. This concludes this week's podcast. Just remember, when the world tries to get you to backslide, all you got to say is, Nah, bro.